The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... So what this was trying to do was a drug that tried to stop the immune system from destroying that extra 20% of your pancreas so to essentially leave you in a honeymoon phase mm. for longer or possibly for life. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulon podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. How's it going? And welcome back to the Insulone Podcast. And I hope you're well. I hope you're having a great week so far. And today, the episode that we have is a really enjoyable one. And it's a unique one in the sense that the guest that I have has, to use the same word, a unique experience or perspective on diabetes because Graydon Thorpe, who was the guest today, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes during his fourth year of medical school. Now, I know from my perspective, when I was initially diagnosed, I knew nothing about diabetes, whereas Graydon, he knew a lot about it already. He knew a lot about potential causes, potential treatments, medications, what to look out for all these different aspects of diabetes that we can be so aware about or aware of. But it wasn't until Graydon was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes himself that he really realized what the condition is like. And I know we all have a very unique perspective on our own diabetes, but it is a condition that unless you live with it, you truly just don't understand it. And Graydon was able to see it from two different perspectives in a very short space of time. That's the way I'll put it. But I really enjoyed this episode. Graydon is an unbelievable person and you're going to get a massive amount of value from this episode. So please enjoy it as much as I did recording it. Chat to you soon. So obviously, Graydon, for me, one of the first big questions is the fact that you are in medical school. You were probably more well-versed around diabetes and other things even before diagnosis than most. I know when I was diagnosed, I barely even knew what diabetes was. So I had no idea what signs to look out for, what symptoms to be aware of. So my big question to you, Graydon, is when you were first diagnosed, 
did you essentially mm-hmm. diagnose yourself? Like, was this something that you you kind of discovered yourself or was this something that somebody else drew to your attention? Yeah, so I did in the end diagnose myself. <laughs> um, so yeah, in the end. And so at first, sort of, I was on my it was my second week of year four placements. Um, and just for that, it was sort of just for a week, about five days, I'd wake only wake up once in the night just to go for a wee. And I thought, oh, that's a bit strange. That's not like me. But again, you sort of, I'm quite rational. And I think, oh, it's only once in the night. I probably drank a lot of water, you know, before going to bed. And then I did feel tired at the time, but I'd worked in the summer. And then I'd gone sort of had, I'd only had sort of a week off. And then went back into placement at hospital again full time. So then you think, oh, I'm tired because, you know, I've just done quite a lot recently and had not had too much rest. Um, and then this one, this seems silly, but I was thirsty. And my girlfriend said, oh, you're drinking a lot. And it was, we'd moved back into our um, university house. And I thought, I, I said, I can remember, and it seems silly. I was like, oh, the water here is just sort of not that cold. As cold as at home, <laughs> it's not quenching my thirst. That must be it. Um, and that was sort of, you know, the going, that was sort of, sort of five days sort of was on my mind that, oh, you know, I've woken up again sort of thing. And then on the, it was a Friday um, and I was at placement and it was kind of ironic because I was on a gestational diabetes clinic to diabetes to those who are pregnant and have diabetes. But that had the same diabetic specialist nurses as for all diabetes. So I was actually with them on the Friday. I was still going into placement four days when I was having these symptoms and sort of cracking on. But I did feel tired, but I just sort of carried on for, I'm just tired, just, you know, carry on. And then it was, I remember the next day on the Saturday, I remember walking up because I was at my girlfriend's house and walking up the stairs. And it, it, because I do quite a lot of sports and things, but I honestly felt like I played a hard game of football or you know, like ran a marathon or something and then tried to walk up a flight of stairs. <laughs> I remember thinking, oh God, I feel feel tired. But again, you sort of go, oh no, you know, you're all right. You know, I'm still up and about walking, still doing everything as normal. And then we went to my, my house on the Sunday and I weighed myself. Um, so I knew my weight before and I wanted to go back to uni and start getting in the gym again, try and put a bit of weight, weight on because I, I thought I'd, you know, I'd lost a small, like a kilogram or two. And I just thought, put that down. So over the summer, sort of been working and not eating as much because I was busy. Um, but I weighed myself. And in that week, I'd lost five kilograms. Um, and, I'd, and I'd been eating a lot. Um, so I'd been eating sort of, you know, 3000 calories a day, trying to put weight on. Um, and at that point, my sort of medical brain, you know, what we've been taught, thought, yeah, something's not right here. And then I sort of thought, and to me, it all sort of fit in then. And I did think, oh, you've got type 1 diabetes, because it was in the back of my mind. But like I said, and I think a lot of a lot of us do, is you sort of put it down to other things. Mm. And it was until that point where I weighed myself and thought, no, you know, those suspicions are right because I've lost this weight. Um, and then it sort of all came together. Um, and for me, I mean, I don't, I guess I kind of, was expect you know it kind of wasn't a shock to me because it was in the back of my mind um the hardest thing for me was then to go downstairs because I went downstairs and I went mum dad brothers girlfriend Louis you know I've got to talk to you all um I think I've got type 1 diabetes and for them you know my family aren't medical so that was more difficult 
And then I said, you know, I think I got type 1 diabetes and sort of tried to explain what that meant. Um, but even for me, I, that night, you know, I was eating, I was up, I was walking, I didn't feel that bad. Um, and that was late at night. So I said, oh, let's, I'll go and seek, you know, seek medical attention, you know, the next morning. And it was a bank holiday Monday. So slept overnight and then the next morning went to A&E um, and I saw the triage, triage nurse sort of blurted out the same story again. And I said, I think I've got type 1 diabetes and I got a little bit like, sure, okay, we'll see, um, which is fair enough. Um, but they, they tried to prick my finger and the glucose machine wasn't working. So they quickly did a quick blood test um, from from the vein, which just gives you all, all the numbers. And in one of those is glucose. And I they did the blood test, put me back in the waiting room. And two minutes later, my name was called. And then I was that to me, when, as soon as I heard that sort of confirmed it to me because it was so quick. Mm. Um, but she did, I mean, they did. And I was in, you know, in the waiting room in A&E. And, you know, you go through double doors from the waiting room into A&E. And you just told me, in the corridor, but in those doors, oh yeah, you do have type one diabetes, um, which was interesting. Um, but yeah, I walked through to recess because I was in DKA, and so I walked through to recess and cannulas and insulin fluids. Later, I was yeah in recess and being treated for DKA. Wow, I uh, I have to say, Graydon, I'm very impressed <laughs> purely in relation to like how logically you seem to have thought about things and how how you just like rationalize things objectively as opposed to well it doesn't sound as though you were reacting massively in an emotional sort of sense it's really similar to me now i'm obviously not a doctor but it's it's really similar to even when i was diagnosed and i'm nearly coming up on my 12 years so Usually this time of year, I kind of I, I spend some time thinking about, oh, this is around about the time when I would have started to see signs and symptoms. But obviously, just I, I was naive and ignorant to, to what they were, so it didn't make any sense to me. But it reminds me a lot about when I was diagnosed, because every sign and symptom that I did see or that I did notice, there was always a reason as to why it was happening. There was always a justification or a rational, a, a rational reason why I was thirsty. It was around Christmas. So like in Ireland, we generally consume more alcohol during Christmas time. I was tired because I was having later nights. You know, I lost weight because I wasn't training as much or I wasn't eating as much. And there was always uh, a perfectly reasonable explanation as to why these things were happening for myself because it was always like well i'm 19 how and i'm i'm fit and i'm healthy how could there be quote unquote something wrong with me which is which is yeah. funny but for you were you because obviously you've the the medical brain as you said <laughs> even when you were weighing yourself and noticed that you'd lost 5 kg which is like what nearly 11 pounds over well in around 11 pounds over the space of a week did you find yourself straight away thinking logically and rationally as opposed to like was there any element of like an emotional kind of worried concerned reaction not really um to be honest i'm not i'm quite a rational thinker yeah. and i mean at that point when i weighed myself i knew something was wrong 
And then I think it, it just sort of, it, it all, because it toned out, it was sort of at the back of my mind. But like you said, and like I think we've all done, um, you think of reasons why, you know, you're getting these symptoms, which is completely fair enough. Um, because normally if you've got something going on, normally you don't have, you know, not, you don't normally get a total di- diagnosis all the time. You know, it's very rational. But no, at that point I thought, it's it's something's going on and it just sort of everything sort of came together in my head and it all put together um and i did before i didn't have anything to prick my finger with but i did go down and tell my family this is what i think i've got but even at that point having doing you know learned about type of diabetes at medical school i felt i didn't i was didn't think i was in dka I, you know i and I look back and I go, it was silly because I slept another night at home and waited to the morning. So that was my next question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I thought that of the evening, but I didn't think, oh, goodness, you know, go to A&E now. Um, and that's just because I didn't feel, I felt hazy and I felt tired, um, but I didn't feel unwell. I didn't feel really unwell. Um and I guess that's one thing that I would, you know, from being taught at medical school about type diabetes to being diagnosed and living with it, there is, it's such a different, It's you can't even compare them, to be honest. Mm. Um, and the amount I've learned since and the amount I think, because I mean, medical school, we think DKA, you think abdominal pain, you think someone who's really unwell, you think of someone who's, you know, got this, it's in the question, you know, fruity smelling breath and something who's vomiting you know or you know just really unwell mm. but actually i was you know my, i was in dk my blood was ketotic you know it would have been that night when i went down and told my family but it didn't occur to me to actually oh you could be in dk and you need to get to any because i think we're classically taught you know for all the red flag symptoms to look out for but actually it can be a lot more insidious and come on and you know, obviously you get you get a stage where I guess for a time I was compensating for it. And I guess I think, you know, through speaking to um for being on the clinical trail and speaking to the the, the nurse in charge who's, you know, fantastic and we you know, that's really helped me in these fifteen months my relationship with her. But you know, you gradually get sort of it's, it's not a overnight your glucose goes and you no longer have insulin it will creep on you suddenly month to month to month and you will slowly your glucose will slowly rise um, and then you stop compensating i guess or it gets to a point where your body starts screaming out for some for some glucose in its cells and then it produces the ketones and you get dka Mm. but i think that's why why i guess we all sort of can have these symptoms but still carry on and be okay because it is a slow creeping process um, but i guess that awareness that you can be in dka but not have these horrible symptoms and if you do think you know i've not been well i think you know something's up or i think i have diabetes or anything like this to go to a and e as soon as possible mm. um because you know even i got that wrong um, and that was a learning point for me mm. Yeah, it's actually, it, it is a really, really good point. And I'm glad that you've kind of highlighted it because even a lot of people out there who actually have diabetes themselves, like there is a common misconception around DKA itself in the fact that we can believe that I'm I'm only in DKA if 
I have these, as you say, red flag symptoms where I have like the fruity breath consistently. I'm, I'm vomiting. I'm really unwell. Whereas DKA potentially can be something that like goes unnoticed. And it's something that mm-hmm. if you feel in any way off before seeing like dramatic signs or, or drastic symptoms, like you could absolutely be in DKA. So I'm kind of glad, well, I'm very glad that you've highlighted that because mm-hmm. it's always important for us to remember, like not to wait if you feel like, oh, something isn't right. So Graydon, you, you seem to casually flaunt into the hospital, right? Having spent an extra night at home, <laughs> you obviously yeah. have essentially diagnosed yourself. You get the confirmation. You walk through the double doors into A&E. You're told you're diabetic in the corridor, essentially. Is yeah. everything then still quite logical to you? Like what happens then? What were your blood sugars at? My blood sugars, I, my blood sugars was 20, 26.2. My okay. pH was 7. and my ketones are through the roof um so yeah that were my numbers but but no i I mean looking back i wish i wish they let me get to recess first to sit down on the bed and just then tell me because i mean if you were in the rating room you probably would have heard that and for me i knew it wasn't a shock to me i really i don't mind that much but I think, you know, it just would have been best to just wait, you know, a minute or two for me to get in my get into recess and just tell me while I'm sat down and sort of, you know, out of earshot of everyone else. That would have that would have been nice. But I think through the whole I, I am quite rational and logical. Um and it sounds silly, but I wasn't that emotional. Um I was more emotional for well, my girlfriend was more emotional than me. Um, but I was more emotional for my my family and how it would impact them as well because for me i guess having the medical background i knew what was happening i thought i knew what things meant but obviously 15 <laughs> months later there's a lot more yeah, yeah. than what we're, we're taught in you know you know that we're taught about you know what it's caused by what the signs and symptoms dk and your treatment is insulin <laughs> um, and obviously we all you know there's so much more and it's been such a learning curve from there but I, I was emotionally I was okay um you know I went into recess speaking to the doctors I mean one of them I played football with and popped in and saw me um, I knew what was going on in terms of you know treatments with my cannulas in they asked my weights that's when I knew they were going to do start my fixed rate insulin and the fluids I knew they were checking for my fingers for my glucose to see if that gets too low to then start the glucose infusion and checking my ketones and things. But I think if I think emotionally, the first time, I mean, I didn't cry or anything during this time. The first time I cried was the morning after um, was when I was, I woke up because it wasn't the best night's sleep of my life in, on the walls. <laughs> um, so I was up at 6 a.m. <laughs> yeah. Up at six AM, and I think my 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 dad was on Facetime to my dad, and I could see him welling up, and that just set me off. And that was the first time I cried. But again, since then, I'm quite. I don't know. I haven't cried much since then. I think I cried that time, and I cried another time at this towards the start. Just I can't remember what it was. Mm. Um, just 
with overwhelmed with I don't know what, what it was but yeah emotionally I was okay it was more my concern for my family and explaining to them and what it meant for them and you know their their worry um was sort of the bigger thing I'd say mm. that's just me mm. yeah even like when I think back to when I was diagnosed now it, it's 12 odd years ago so i i my my memory could be tainted or uh, foggy to a certain extent but i do specifically remember not being emotional which is kind of strange and mm-hmm. it sounds similar to you Braden, in the sense that maybe i wasn't emotional because i was ignorant towards diabetes because i didn't know anything about it like maybe if in hindsight like i suppose maybe if i knew about diabetes as much as I do now, I would have been emotional. But I think it almost benefited me when I was first diagnosed because I was so ignorant to it. And it was always, even though I was naive to like what had led to it and what was to come, essentially, it was only really when like my parents and my brothers were involved that I started feeling emotional towards it. So I can definitely mm-hmm. relate and resonate to that. How are your parents now? Yeah, no, everyone. Yeah, everyone's doing well. Thank you. Um, it was, you know, I think it was especially because they're not from, but even for me, I think from a medical background, I was ignorant. So what, you know, from what means the A&E, because yes, I I was taught about it and I know what it is, and the, but the day to day life, it's just you can't you 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 can't put that in. You have to live with it. And either talk to someone or listen to someone who's lived or you know living with diabetes to really even get a snapshot of that. Um, so I was even through medical school, you know, I'm, I was still completely ignorant to really the what type one diabetes means for us day to day, and you know the constant nature and how you've got to sort of think about pretty much quite a lot, you know everything we do. Also the fact that that is manageable. Um, but no, my parents obviously it was. A worrying time for them, um, worrying time for my and I was also my brothers. I've, I'm one of four boys, so my mind first went to, oh goodness, so I've got I've I've got type diabetes now. What about them? Um, and I'm so glad. Touch words. It's just me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so glad it's me. Um, I would you know Same. I wouldn't. I'm the eldest brother, and I mean I just I'm so glad it's me and not any of them. Um, but no, I think it was. Um, it was good that I had some background knowledge um, to, you know, tell them about diabetes. But again, I was ignorant. I didn't know the full extent. And I guess we've just gone on the journey together. Um, but it was tough. It was tough at the start because it is such a big change and you worry about everything. And, mm. um, you, you know, worried about food, what it means, you know, insulin, keep it in the fridge. <laughs> and then there's finger pricking. And then it was you know, looking into CGMs and then going to the first appointments with, you know, the diabetic nurses and then, you know, so it was a journey, but no, it's now it's sort of, we've gone through the journey and we've learned together um, and touch wood, it's yeah, all going quite well now, thank you. So. What do you think, Graydon, has surprised you the most about diabetes up to this point? <sighs> what a question that is. <laughs> oh. I guess comparing to what I knew in my sort of from before to now, I think it's the 
surprised me is probably the constant nature of it, sort of how it is always a thing. And, you, you know, I've, you're always checking, you know, my Dexcom, I'm always checking it. You're always having to think whether I'm playing, going to the gym, playing football, about to go to placement and drive. You're always having to think about it. And I guess from before, you you just don't, you know, unless you've lived with it, you don't know, think about how, you know, you do have to think about it all the time. But then I guess also it is surprising how used to it you get, I think, and how it just becomes second nature almost. And it's it's just your new normal and it's just what you do in the day. Mm. And I mean, I'm I'm only, you know, 15 months and, you know, I'm very, very early <laughs> into into it all. Um, but how it does, I guess, surprising how it does become sort of just life now. And that is what you do. And you inject your insulin, you put, change your CGM, you check, you, you know, it just becomes sort mm. of your day-to-day life. And yeah, but no, probably those two things. I think you're, you're somebody, Graydon, who probably has a, a more unique insight into it in the sense that obviously you like you were involved with diabetes you learned about it in in medical school and now thrown into what the reality of it is on a day-to-day basis even with that perspective and i've and i've asked a couple of different people this question in like under different circumstances and and under like in a in a different context but how has your perspective on diabetes changed since you getting it because obviously as you said you learned about dka you learned about insulin you learned about the signs the symptoms the treatments potentially like how how has your perspective of the condition overall changed if it has another very good question um i remember we had we had a lecture actually in medical school where we had uh, someone with type diabetes who came on and they spoke about sort of their diagnosis and their day-to-day life. And I I remember thinking at the time, well, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't like to have type 1 diabetes. That sounds like a lot. Um, So I guess, so that was my sort of perspective then. Um, And I think compared to then, I think my, that's, that, that has softened a little bit because it, I think you, I've learned that you can, you can have diabetes and you can do whatever you want. You can eat what you want. (laughs) You can eat what you want. You can do what you want. You just have to think about things a lot more and plan a little bit more. But everything you want to do is achievable. Um, So I think that's perspective. Um, But there also is, I guess, a lot that we aren't taught at medical school that, and I've seen through being on place in the hospital where, you know, you've got a patient with type one and they're talking to consultant or senior doctor and that doctor doesn't really understand the day-to-day life. Mm. Um, and I've seen a couple where I can, can see the patient getting frustrated because mm-hmm. the doctor's not, not understanding. Yeah. And, you know, cause I've, I've got, I'm sort of not in the middle. I'm probably, team type one but um, no, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. I definitely, <laughs> um but I definitely you know in the middle where and it seems like the doctor's not listening and I, I don't think it's because they're not listening I just don't think they fully understand and have that sort of ignorance of me from before to now hmm. um 
I think, you know, there is a lot. And I mean, I was, I'm speaking to the medical school about me doing a talk and saying, you know, trying to teach to try and, you know, to try and help that and close that gap. Um, because even for my, you know, girlfriend and housemates who are all in medical school, just what they know now from what they did before. And I feel like whenever, especially us, we see patients with type one in the hospital, because we will see a lot of them having that extra bit of knowledge and that more that understanding, you know, will go a long way in those conversations. So, you know, hopefully that, that would be something that would be good. You're definitely more team type one now at this stage, Graydon, to say the least. <laughs> but it's interesting as well because Graham, obviously the producer of this podcast, his girlfriend yeah. is a doctor. Now, she doesn't obviously specialize in diabetes, mm-hmm. but similar to you and even just from the conversation that I have had with Graham in relation to this over the years, like she would outline to Graham that, you know, this is the diabetes module and this is what we learn and this is kind of the surface value stuff. But even just from her hearing from Graham or listening to the odd episode of this podcast, she realizes, oh my God, like it's so much deeper than everything that we learn. It's so, it's so (laughs) much more mental and emotional and just constant and all-consuming than it's sometimes maybe portrayed as when you, when you learn about it. And obviously you have that insight in terms of the contrast between the two. <laughs> if you, Graydon, could recreate the diabetic syllabus that you went yeah. through, even just based off the last 15 months of you actually living with it, what would you take out? if you would take out anything Mm -hmm. and what would you more importantly include if you could include anything into that syllabus so that globally doctors could help kind of bridge that gap between the understanding of actually learning about it compared to living with it. Yeah, I would, I I wouldn't take anything out because what we we're taught everything that you need to know and it's essential and, you know, to diagnose that patient that comes in. Um, that is in DK or that patient you see in GP who they're not sure what's going on. Um, You know, and I think a big thing is we at medical school, you have so much to learn in not so much time. So I guess time-wise you you haven't got loads and loads and loads and loads of hours to put, Mm -hmm. you know, because there are so many conditions and so many systems in the body uh, that we do need to learn about. But if I... If I added, I think I would add, I mean, the talk that we had with the patient who um, had type 1 diabetes was really good. Um, and looking back now, I, I, I wouldn't have thought all medical schools have that. Um, so that was actually really good to have to get that perspective. Um, the thing I would add is probably trying to put the, put sort of the life experience and then sort of put the clinical spin on that. So to talk more about not just the treatment is insulin, but to try and talk talk about, and we, I remember we got a table that was this massive table and it had all t- types of, you know, short and long acting in- and intermediate insulins and all their names and all their, how long they last for and things. Mm. And that, that was just too much and beyond, you know, we, d- you know, you don't need to know every single name. I think what would have been better was to, be taught, you know, this is what, you know, your short acting, which you take with meals, 
you know, the most common types of, you know, Nova Rapid, I mean, now Fiasp as well. Um, you know, Nova Rapid, you normally take it 15 minutes before, you know, one unit of Nova Rapid, you know, will bring you down two to three millimoles per litre of, of glucose, sort of more your practical and clinical things. Um, and then to talk about your long acting um, and, you know, when you need those, so Lantus is once a day, that's a common one. 11 minute, which I'm on, is another common one. You take that twice a day. Because I've seen I've seen in hospital where doctors don't understand sort of the long acting, mm. um, you know, to have awareness of that, and then also I guess awareness of CGMs a little bit more. So just what CGMs are, sort of what they do, and then sort of you know the te- a bit before about that technology, and then I guess for all medical schools to have somebody with you know some a lecture with type one would be great just to try and get a snapshot of what it is like to live with type one day to day and the emotional, because as you said, it, it is constant and you know, that does take a toll emotionally, you know, if I, my alarm's going off because I've gone high at night or I've slept on my arm and I'm being woken up and having to prick my finger and you know, that over time, that really does add up. Um, so just to have a little bit of understanding as it's not just, you pack your beta cells and you don't have insulin anymore and you've got to take <laughs> insulin. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, this is what your insulins are. Sort of, this is, you know, your, this is sort of your standard, what people normally do um, and what that means for them sort of, with, you know, because I've seen in hospital where patients are a little bit high and doctors are scared of insulin, you know, because it doesn't, you know, if you get, one unit to 10 units and you know that's such a huge you know that could be fatal so that you know people are but only scared because we don't really know i didn't know that one unit will bring you down two to three millimoles i didn't you know i just knew instant i didn't really know about units and hmm. um, to learn to know a little bit more about long acting and see you know to know long acting and how to maybe adjust that for a patient while they're in hospital a little bit you know if they're creeping up towards the end of the day to try and, you know, maybe increase it by one or two units. But I think doctors are quite worried about changing insulin. Um, And they do often go back to the diabetes nurses, which is great. But, you know, if it's, say, 8 o'clock at night and, you know, those nurses have gone home, whether to, you know, whether to give those doctors that confidence to be more confident with insulin. And then I think it is more about that perspective of day-to-day and the emotional toll and just to have that, bit of understanding um when talking to patients because it, it, it is it never stops you can never turn it off mm-hmm. um, i had a day where my dexcom updated and i was i was at home and it wanted my the number on my sensor um, but it wanted my transmitter number and i'd had the transmitter in for a little while so i didn't have it it was in it was in the recycling at, in the, my studio <laughs> so i didn't have that on me so i had two days where i was didn't have my dexcom and i was finger pricking and i wouldn't want that long term but actually those two days were quite nice Mm. because you are in your dexcom you know it was quite nice almost it was almost like a little mini break where yes i still pricked my finger and i'm so grateful for the cgms because for me i've gone i had to fight to get it on get onto it quicker but that's just been fantastic for me. I've sort of gone straight into a CGM and I don't really, obviously listening to your podcast before and you talk about 
he'd been finger pricking for was it 10 years or so yeah, yeah. you know i don't i don't know that i i haven't been there um, but that two-day break was quite a nice break in terms of but then i went long term i dexcom all the way because yeah you know the thing you know i don't obviously i can't i don't want to say oh my fingers really hurt because <laughs> i've had well, i can't feel mine things. anymore <laughs> <laughs> no I, I have a friend who was um i play football with who was diagnosed age three and he tells me the same that he can't feel his yeah. fingers anymore and i i don't I've, I've not been through that um but yeah probably probably that would be yeah. my answer it's 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 an interesting one too, Graydon, that you kind of bring up that that idea of like a little mini break, and it's actually something that we were speaking about as a group inside, like the the program that I run. We do group calls and stuff, and this was something that we were speaking about recently, and it was the idea behind the difference between finger pricking compared to having a CGM, and how as unbelievable as CGMs are and I'll always pick having a CGM over just finger pricking now particularly after doing finger pricks for like 9-10 years there's, there's no comparison <laughs> but with a CGM it's it's so easy for people to number one become completely reliant on them and kind of tune out of how their body actually feels with highs and lows which is important in my opinion but also mm. With a CGM, from my experience and even working with other people, you're a lot more inclined to be mentally or emotionally burnt out if you're not using your CGM to the best of its ability, essentially. And if you're, I suppose for lack of a better term, if you're kind of like a slave to your CGM and you're checking it and checking it and checking it and checking it and checking it, you're opening yourself up for stress and frustration and anxiety to a certain extent because you've just constant access to your blood sugar, just like checking the time on your phone. And when you're finger pricking, ignorance is bliss to a certain extent. It's like, I'm less inclined to check. I don't really need to worry about it. If I even do see a really high number, I just see that one number. I don't see that daunting big spike on the CGM that's happened over, you know, a 30 or 60 minute period, whatever it might be. It's just kind of like, ah, yeah, that's just a number and I'll take my insulin and it's forgotten about. Whereas with a CGM, it's like, I see the ups and the downs and the ups and the downs when I have a bad day or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And it's always like the, now you, you might not even need to have this internal debate in your mind because you, you will have a CGM for the rest of your life, hopefully, well, presumably. But it's like the internal debate of ignorance is bliss, better mentally and emotionally, but not better physically because I've inevitably mm-hmm worse quote-unquote worse control when i don't have a cgm but then the flip side of it it's like well i better control physically with a cgm but if i don't know how to use it as a tool as opposed to being a slave to it it's easy for me to be more stressed or more anxious or more overwhelmed by my blood sugar because it's that constant and i'm getting alarms does that make sense yeah, completely. I mean, one of the things I, when I came out from hospital and I remember my, my blood sugars were still, you know, 15, you know, they'd be 15, I'd be pricking my fingers, they'd be 15, 16, 18, so good, you know, I think it was good. And I, for me, I'm, 
quite I'd say not perfectionist but you know I, I, I want I wanted to get it down and I wanted those numbers to be right um, and that was really hard in that sort of first week or two to to not be able to get those down and I you know I was struggling because I knew what they should be as well and obviously you know having high blood sugars then my mind goes to you know long term and complications and things like that mm. um, but then also and um, you know I remember well my the, the nurse who's on the clinical tr- trial I've been on um, who's really really helped me been sort of my closest person sort of you know sort of from sort of the who's medical with diabetes um she always says to me, you're doing really, but don't worry too much. Don't be too much of a perfectionist because I definitely fell into that trap, I think, definitely towards the start of looking at those numbers. Or, or You know, I was uh, those numbers when they were high, those first two weeks were really hard. And all I wanted to do was get them down, you know, and I was you know, advised to bring them down slowly because that's the best for you if you had a massive drop then that can lead to damage, especially in your eyes. Um, so to bring those down slowly, but then also at the start, and especially when I, I mean, when I first got a CGN, that was really hard because I also, I was skin and bone. So even, you know, putting, you know, in applying the sensors was, was quite an ordeal. And that was quite stressful because it was quite painful. And I, you know, I literally had nothing, nothing on me really. And then, I think those first for a first while, I mean, I was in the honeymoon phase, I guess. So that was, you know, I had that, but the numbers would always be on my mind. And I think almost too much. And I think it's, it's really difficult. And I think that's probably one of my most difficult things is trying to, yes, they're fantastic. And yes, look at your numbers and yes, use that to have the best control, but then also to, be able to switch off and not worry about it too much and to know yes okay i've been woken up my sugars are 13 and yes i've or i've injected two units but not to because i really struggle i can't i struggle to go back to sleep if i if i'm high mm. i sort of for me i i have to sort of when if i wake up and i've been high overnight that's sort of my worst thing i would say if i wake up and i had once where I went high, but my phone, my, my I had my AirPods, but I hadn't put them back in the case. So my AirPods are connected to my phone. So my alarm went off, but through my AirPods, so I didn't hear it. And I woke up in the morning and I'd been high for the night. And that was like, you know, my stomach just drops then. <laughs> because, you know, that is, because <laughs> it is. And I, because for me, that is the, and I think that's the thing I struggle with as well. It, it is sleep and trying to have those, you know, steady levels overnight to let you sleep. But I do struggle in being able to say, right, I've done my insulin, let me go back to sleep. And even now, I had it a couple of days ago and I will wait up till I see, you know, see them start dropping. Um, and maybe that's something I need to sort of, because sleep is so important, um, something I need to sort of try and work on a bit more is to say, right, I've woken up, I've, I'm 13, I've had my two units, let me go back to sleep. Um, and if you're still high, your alarms will keep waking you up, I guess, and to try and sort of switch off. But no, it definitely was difficult to to have that because it's great. Information is fantastic. But having those, you know, your sugars all the time, it was hard to learn to not be a perfectionist and also to realize that you can't control, you know, you can't control it all the time. 
Mm. And yes, you might get it wrong by a unit or two. You know, you might get it wrong sometimes. You know, there's so much we can't control. You know, if I play football, or go to the gym. Like, you know, it's sometimes, I mean, I'm normally quite good to be fair, but you'll do something twice and then, or do something five times and you'll get five different outcomes at times with your glucose. So it's probably having that acceptance that it's not always going to be in sort of roll with the punches and not obsess too much on the numbers on my phone because there is there is a downside to that and it's finding that happy medium i think mm. what i think uh, i couldn't agree with i couldn't agree more with whatever with everything you've just said great but what i think of the mental or the emotional side of diabetes and i think specifically about immediate emotional reactions to blood sugar the the first one I always think of is the morning time, even from my personal experience. The morning time, you're waking up, you're kind of reactive as it is because you're just waking up and your alarm's probably, probably gone off. If you check your blood sugar, and you should check your blood sugar first thing in the morning, by the way, for anybody listening. If you check your blood sugar and you see that it's really high and you know now that you've been high for the whole night, for me, that is one of the most frustrating things emotionally with diabetes. And I'm now at a stage where I like emotionally with my diabetes, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm kind of just like a brick wall because I've just been through it all. And I've like trained my mind how to to kind of deal with these challenges. But that's one of the most difficult reactions to deal with because yeah. Your, your first thing in the morning, you've just woken up, you might have a busy day ahead of you, and you know that you've been sleeping six, seven, eight hours up at X height blood sugar. And it's like unbelievably frustrating. But if you can learn to deal, in my opinion, if you can learn to deal with that response in a in a more productive way, as opposed to like being emotional and, and reacting irrationally to a certain extent, that gives you so much power around your diabetes because you're already in a reactive state. And if I can think, much like you do, Graydon, if I can think rationally and logically and productively and proactively about my next step here, that's such a powerful thing to be able to do with your diabetes because the more, as, again, to reiterate the morning blood sugar, if you're really high, it, it just boils your blood, boils your blood. It's and I can even tell by it. <laughs> I can tell by it. <laughs> it's it, my worst, yeah. Looking, looking back right now, what you were saying about the, even the appointment that you had kind of let's, that you had mm. been part of where you felt as if the doctor potentially wasn't really listening or didn't really fully understand the patient in terms of the reality of the day-to-day. And it's definitely something I can relate to. Mm-hmm. What do you feel would help bridge that gap? And I view it as a gap based on so many conversations that I've had over the years and so many personal experiences I've had over the years where there is just a, a huge gap between doctor, nurse, endo, whatever, not all of them, by the way, but there is a big gap between my knowledge around like the, the biology or the physiology of diabetes and then 
the gap to the reality of actually living with the condition and what this patient across the table or whatever is dealing with on a daily basis. What do you feel would help bridge that gap consistently? That was part one of this episode. If you are listening to this on the day of the release, part two will be out tomorrow. But if you're listening on any other day, part two is the next episode on our list.